for talking about uh, the spiritual discipline of study, particularly Bible study. And um, we're in a series titled Disciplines for Disciples, that if we're following Christ, we're followers of Jesus, there's certain disciplines that God has given to us to help us as disciples, to help us as followers of Christ, as learners of Christ. And one of those is the study of his word. And we subtitled this message, Study, Renewing the Mind. That it, as we study God's word, move beyond just reading or listening, but study and dig into it a little deeper, it has the ability to renew our mind, to make our mind new once Again, And so you might also be thinking, well, didn't we just take a survey last week? Maybe you saw some of these on the seats as you came in. If you weren't here last week, you'll have an invitation to participate in this study maybe a little bit later. But we did get 140 responses, which thrilled me. I was just ecstatic that there was such a thick stack. So if you took the survey last week, thank you. The first question on that survey was... How many times in 2019 did you engage Scripture? So that was a loaded question, knowing that this was coming and wanting to be able to share some things with you, thinking just specifically about Linwood. All right, so the chart up on the screen uh, indicates that of the people who took the survey, of the 140 people who took the survey last week, 5% said that over the course of 2019, the average week, they didn't, they didn't engage Scripture at all, which would mean they were coming to church less than once a week, probably. And I was thrilled that there are people sitting in our pews who were not engaging Scripture at all last year, and they're here. And that is, that's mission accomplished, that we're reaching people for Christ. And so if you were real intermittent or um, if you, you, you weren't a part of this church, you weren't a part of any church, um, then over 2019 on average, you wouldn't have engaged Scripture that much. Um, the next group is actually the largest group in the study uh, here at Linwood was about 33% of the people, 32, 33% of the people engaged Scripture one to three times a week on average. So coming to church on Sunday morning counts for one. If you're part of a small group or a community Bible study, that might get you another one. But it's unlikely in this group that you're frequently opening the Bible on your own at home. That might happen once or twice a week um, in that group of one to three. Um, but then the next uh, two groups actually represent more than half of our congregation. So about 55% of Linwood would apply to this, to this video we just watched, that they're engaging Scripture four or more times per week. And that means a couple of different things. About 23% engage it every day. That's just part of your daily rhythm. Seven days a week, uh, counting Sunday, um, about 32% engage it uh, four to six times a week. But when you add those two together, over half of the people that took the survey last week are engaging Scripture four times a week. And what that means is that 45% of our congregation could see significant change, getting away from spiritual stagnation, getting away from some, some of the negative lifestyle things that they correlated with that if you would just engage scripture two or three times a week more. And that's encouraging to me because if you can make Sunday a regular habit and maybe get involved in one discipleship group or, um, or a community Bible study or, or something else, then one or two days a week, build that into your life. And I know what will happen if you do. 
you'll start to get a hunger and thirst for the word. And you'll say, oh, I want to see what else it says. That's really cool. Galatians 5, that, that's really something. I want, how does that apply to this and this and this? And so I would really encourage you, if you're one of the 45% that filled out the survey and aren't in God's word four times a week, that you would make that a priority. That maybe the month of March, you could say, what would it look like for me? What is one or two things that I can do that would make this a habit in my life. And keep in mind, as we do this, it's not to check the box and it's not to fit into a certain criteria. All of the spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that we'll talk about this week and next, they're all tools to know Jesus better. Remember, that's, that's the purpose behind spiritual disciplines. It, they don't make us righteous. They help us to know Jesus. And with the more we know Jesus, the more we'll love Jesus. Because to know him is to love him. If you think you know something about Jesus that doesn't cause you to love him, then, then you don't fully know it. Because to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And the more you know him, the more you love him, the more you love him, the more you want to know him. And the spiritual disciplines help us to do that. So far, we have talked about fasting. In week one, we talked about this idea that fasting feeds discipline. That it is a spiritual discipline that feeds the other disciplines in our lives. And that's why we started with it. Uh, at least 45 or so people took the sheet and, and at least considered taking a step in fasting. If you're following that progressive Daniel fast, it's starting to, you're starting to feel it. You're, we're heading into the final week of that. We're down to fruits and vegetables only. And uh, if that describes you, you're starting to feel that sacrifice, and hopefully it's causing you to have a deeper hunger for God, because the purpose in fasting is always to glorify God. It's always to know Him better. It's always to seek Him more throughout our lives. Um, the Last week, we talked about prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer, and this big idea that it is always the right time to pray. You don't even have to ask the question, like, hmm, would this be a good time? Yes. And next week, and all those times in the past that you wish you had, those were the right time to pray too. It's always the right time to pray. But I mentioned something last week to kind of set up these next two weeks as we consider these interior disciplines, things that we can do ourselves in our interior world in our one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. And I talked in that prayer message about the importance of hearing from God. And that can be very mysterious for some of us. I illustrated it by calling my wife in the front row and rattling off a list of things that I needed from her and hanging up before she had an opportunity to respond. Because that described my prayer life for a long time. I would just bow my head, make my list, rattle it off, and be on to the next thing. And it took me some time to learn how to hear from God, how to discern His voice, and how to pause and listen for it. And I mentioned last week that studying God's Word and meditating upon what we've studied are two of the number one ways, or two of the most impactful ways to hear from God. So that's why we're talking about that this week and next. As we talk about studying God's Word, I'm going to focus today on three steps that help us to study God's Word. And there are really three questions that we would ask as we do a Bible study. So this can be a template for you um, for your personal Bible study, and you can do these three questions in 10 minutes. If you have 10 minutes to study God's Word, pick a small passage and work through these questions. Or if you have hours, when I do a message for this Sunday morning, and I typically prepare anywhere from eight 
hours on a short Sunday where I'm really confident with the material, up to 15 to 20 hours in a week, you can spend that much time studying a passage of Scripture, asking the question, what does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply? Those three questions are sort of a boilerplate template for Bible study. So that's what we're going to do today. We'll ask the question, what does it say? And you read it several times, you read the passage several times, and maybe in multiple um, translations. We've been talking about these banding together journals pretty much all year as a great discipleship tool. They have a reading plan, so they keep you engaged in Scripture, and then a process that you go through with the journaling. And the first process, and there's an acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P, the first process is Scripture. And you write out the scripture. And there's so much power in actually writing out God's word. If you really want to understand what it says, then you write it out and it slows you down. It causes you to focus. Most of us can read two to four hundred words a minute. We can talk, um, you know, maybe two to three hundred words a minute. Uh, We can think about a thousand words a minute, but we can only write about a hundred. If we're handwriting, a hundred words a minute is a pretty good clip. It may be most people would be 60 to 80. It slows you down. It causes you to write a section and then read a section and write a section and read a section. So there's power in writing it out. And that helps us answer that first question, what does it say? Then the next step, the next question to ask is, what does it mean? Now I know what it says, but what does it mean? What do the words mean? And how do we build some context? And this is really the heart of Bible study is asking the question, what does it mean? And we ask questions of the text. Why did it use that word instead of that word? Why does it say this instead of that? We look up words that don't make sense to us. We ask God. We, we saturate the whole process in prayer because we're wanting to hear from God. And so we can ask God, why did, you, why did you say that? Why did this happen? Why does it say this instead of that? And in the Banding Together journals, we make observations. That's the O in SOAP. We make observations of the text. We write down a few things that stand out to us or, or that we had not seen before or had not noticed before. We might use a study Bible, a commentary, a Bible dictionary, something like that, but we make a few observations. And then the final question in the three-question approach is how does it apply? Now that I know what it says and I've discovered what it means, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to me? And in that question, we seek to make a prayerful, personal application of the text. That God's word is living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it pierces those who encounter it, even to the division of, of soul and spirit. Like, it really gets into us. That's what that passage from Hebrews chapter 4 is saying. So we ask, how does that apply to me, God? How does that apply to my circumstances? How does that apply to this situation at work or that relationship in my family or that financial circumstance? And we start to see and apply the word to our lives. That's the A in the SOAP process, Scripture, Observation, Application, and then prayer. And we bathe the whole process in prayer. And so that's an overview now I want you to get out your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Hebrew, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, and we're actually going to do this today. I thought, you know, I can talk about all kinds of study methods and everything else, or we could walk through one together, and I picked this passage very intentionally. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal passage um, on the power of 
studying God's Word to renew our minds. So if you have one of our blue hardcover Bibles and when the seat's in front of you, you can pick one of those up. It's page 1763. If you have your own Bible, that's awesome. Turn to Romans chapter 12 there, and we'll model these three steps together. So remember step one, what does it say? My favorite way to determine what the Word is saying, what a verse of Scripture is saying, keeping in mind that all of our English translations are translations. They're, they're coming from an original text, which is Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. So words have been translated, and sometimes there's direct translation That word always translates to that word. Other times there's choices. And so when you read it in multiple translations, you'll see, wow, that word that's translated this way in this version is translated this way. That helps build out the meaning of the text. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read it to you. This is going to be on the screen. The first translation that I read is the same as what's in the Bibles and the pews. It's the New International Version from 1984. And it says, Therefore... I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So we kind of keep that in mind, and then we maybe move on to some other translations. And there are online study tools. You could have four or five Bibles that you own that you look through on paper Bibles. That's great. Or you can use online tools where you can actually put them all on the screen together. BibleGateway.com is a great one for that. You can literally put five different versions of the Bible lined up right next to each other. I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, next. And I want you to maybe think about what's different. What do they phrase differently? Um, What's the same? Maybe what stands out in this translation compared to a different one or the one that we just read? In the ESV, we read these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's the ESV. Now I'm going to move to the Amplified Version. Now the Amplified Version is one of my favorite versions because it expands, amplifies keywords in the Scripture to help you understand the meaning. So if you are only going to read one and try to understand what the words mean, The Amplified might be your go-to for a single translation that would give you the most possible meanings or, or shed the most light on what the Scriptures are trying to say. Here's what the Amplified says. You'll notice it's almost twice as long as the ESV. It says, Therefore I urge you... Brothers, that's different. The other two said appeal, um, or the ESV said appeal, the, the NIV said urge. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart, as living sacrifices, holy and well pleasing to God, which is your rational or logical, intelligent act of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed. See, they're adding a little bit more uh, information on what that word transforms mean. To be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. You see how that really amplifies, expands on the meaning. Now, the last one that I want to share with you is the message translation, another personal favorite of mine in trying to understand what the words mean. The message translation was written by Eugene Peterson as a paraphrase to bring the, the, the Bible into modern language, sort of a more vernacular or colloquial expression of these words. And so the message translation is also quite a bit longer, and it says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I like that. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Now, when I read that sentence, I was like, What a great restatement of the principle in verse 1. That this idea that embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Like, I want to write that down. I want to put that somewhere that I'm going to see it regularly. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That's how he worded being transformed, to be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So you can see, now that we've read that in four different translations, we understand what the words say so much better, don't we? And so we we get the gist of that passage. And I would encourage you, if you're studying just a couple of verses and really digging into those, write them out. Take the time to write them out. There is really power in writing those out. And after you read it in three or four different translations and take the time to write it out, you're borderline memorizing the Scripture. You really get what it's saying and and what is, is behind that. The next question, remember, we say, what does it say? Now that we've looked and we can see what it says, is what does it mean? What does it mean? And this is where we dig a little deeper. And this is, this is the meat, the nuts and bolts of Bible study is answering this question, what does it mean? Now, some tools that you'll want to have as you do Bible study are a good study Bible. This one is the NLT, New Living Translation Study Bible, uh, the Life Application uh, Study Bible. That's a... a type of study Bible that's available in multiple translations is the idea of life application. This is incredibly popular. I like to use it as I seek to answer that question, how does it apply? Um, my personal favorite, and if I only had one, would be this ESV study Bible. I absolutely love this thing. It has maps, it has charts, it has graphs, it has all kinds of really, really good tools Um, to help you understand what does it mean as I read these scriptures. And a lot of them will have introductory articles. Um, So I think the screen behind me, you can see there's a table of contents, an introduction to Romans. You might not be able to read that. That's the online version 
of this book. And so it has links to articles that tell you about Romans from a big picture or um, to various charts and graphs. And so like the first one there, it says chart, key themes in Romans. And there's a chart that goes over some key themes in Romans, as you might guess from the title. Um, here's what the key theme that relates to this passage says. It's, it's from 12.1. Romans 12, verse 1, to Romans 13, verse 14, says the grace of the gospel calls Christians to personal holiness, mutual service, good citizenship, and wholehearted neighbor love in Christ. So that's what this section is talking about. So these two verses are part of a larger section of Scripture. And as we continue, we read the articles, we look at the charts and maps. It was kind of cool. We, um, we have a a group for people that are doing the banding together. If they're on Facebook and they want to participate in that, and um, just this last week we were reading the tail end of Acts when Paul is on his way to Rome, and one of the people in the group posted a map from their study Bible that showed the various stops that Paul takes on his way to to Rome. And I said, well, what, what study Bible is that? And it's the NIV Essential Study Bible, and it has maps. My ESV has maps that trace these things out. The Life Application Study Bible has maps that help you picture this so you know, oh, that was a longer journey than that verse, which was just from here to there. It, it puts things into a better context as you do that. So that's just one example of, of using a study Bible to illuminate and to help you understand what it means when it says in one verse they sailed from here to here the map helps you see well that's quite a ways or that's pretty short Um, so that's really helpful Um, another thing that you can do is read the study notes so on the online version there's the scripture on one side and the study notes on the other in in the paper version the words of, of the text are on the top and the study notes are on the bottom. So they kind of sync up with each other. And there are a couple of study notes that were really, really helpful in understanding this passage that we've just read from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I put a couple of them on the screen. One identifies that this section from 12.1 to 15.13 is talking about God's righteousness in everyday life. So this should be on the screen now, this idea that, that the gift of God's saving righteousness leads to a new life. In this section, Paul works out some of the practical implications of God's saving mercy. So that's, that's helping me to understand a little bit more. What does it mean? Then we read that these two verses right here, verse 1 and 2, have a paradigm for exhortations. That, that the paradigm for these exhortations that follow is he makes instructions and, and makes exhortations to the people at the church in Rome are for total dedication to God. Now, that should have been evident from the passage when we talk about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. So that makes sense. These, were, these words summarize the response to God's grace and serve as the introduction for all of chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 13. They encapsulate what it means to live in a way that pursues God. So there's sort of a summary on the front end of what... Uh, we're looking at. I really liked what the Life Application Bible had to say um, on here as well. Uh, It talks about 
Oh, I wanted to read this one first. Sorry, I got a little excited. Um, So if we go to the next slide from the ESV Study Bible, here's another really good example of a study note that links you to scriptures all over the Bible and helps you really understand what it means. This, This note on verse 1 says, Therefore, and you've heard me say this before, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you want to know what it's there for. So what's the therefore, therefore? The therefore, in this case, points back to the entire argument from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 11, 36. So basically the whole book of Romans is what that therefore is talking about. Then this word, or this phrase, mercies of God, they explain that. Christians are to give themselves entirely to God because of his saving grace, as shown in chapter 3, verses 21, through chapter 11, verse 36. The sacrificial language from the Old Testament is used to denote the new life of Christians, and this means that the word bodies here refers to Christians as whole persons, both body and soul, belonging to God. They're living sacrifices, meaning that they're alive from the dead since they enjoy new life in Christ. But living also means that they will not be put to death as the Old Testament animal sacrifices. Now I could continue, um, but you get the point that there's a lot behind some of these words, some of these phrases, and a good study Bible will call that out. You'll also notice that there's a lot of scripture passages in the blue there. Each one of those is a link that you can click that takes you to that scripture so you can read how that parallel passage informs this passage. Or if you have the paper version, you can flip to it yourself and keep a thumb in the other one. If you go to the next one, it talks about verse 2, and I like how both of these word it, but the ESV says, the present evil age still threatens those who belong to Christ, so they must resist its pressure. Their lives are changed as their minds are made new. You can contrast that to chapter 1, verse 28, where it says their spiritual minds were darkened. So now he's presenting a contrast to the darkening of, of humanity's mind after the fall to the new renewal of humanity's mind as we come to Christ and pursue him. It's really, really cool. I never would have picked up that parallel without a good study Bible. So they are able to discern God's will. By testing, you may discern, translates a Greek word, dokimazo, which if you're ever wondering where I get all these cool Greek words, a lot of them come right out of my study Bibles, and they explain it for you. And it says that this word, dokimazo, often has the sense of finding out the worth of something by putting it to use or testing it in an actual practice. So as we put God's word to use in our lives, we realize the worth and the value that this really is the way to live. You go through Proverbs and read Proverbs every day and put those practices and principles to work in your life. You realize they are right. They are true. They are perfect. They're God's will for us. The, uh, the note here on the Life Application Study Bible that I like so much um, talks about verse 2 And the translation, this world, literally this age, it's the division of history into two ages, which was typical of the Jewish worldview. Early Christians adapted this point of view, identifying the coming of Christ as the time when the new age of salvation began. Unexpectedly, however, the new age did not bring an end to the old age. The old way of thinking and living continues and is a source of temptation, even to Christians who seek to conform their lives to the values of this new age. Now, I know I've given you a lot, and you would be able to work through this in your own time. But as I worked through all that and read those notes, I got this image in my mind, particularly on verse 2, that Scripture, as we renew our minds, 
it changes us. It transforms us. And the image that came to mind for me was, everybody know what this is? It's a cookie cutter, right? And so if we think about, do not conform to the pattern of this world, I see as an assembly line with this world just kicking out people that all kind of look the same. Now, we might have different frosting, different decorations, different embellishments, but we're all the same size and shape following the world's life the world's ways, the culture's ways. And we don't want to be this guy. Now, you might think, why did he bring a fire truck? It's not actually a fire truck. That's what's really cool about this. When you're a dad of little boys, you get to see some really cool toys. And so I picked this one because of that key word in verse 2 that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so now it's not a fire truck at all. It's a rescue hero. It's a, it's a rescue bot, actually. And so the message in my little, you know, dad of young boys is, don't be this guy. Be this guy. Be a rescue bot. Be somebody that's transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's how, that's how I was able to kind of summarize the whole thing after studying God's word for a while and make it real, make it applicable, make it pertinent. Because I tell you what, the world out there needs a lot more of these then it needs these. And as we are renewed in our mind, we can be transformed. Another thing that I learned as I was reading that word, studying that word transformed, because I got a little bit curious, um, that word transformed only appears one other place in the New Testament. It's when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the glory of God is presented in all its fullness. It's the same word, that that is to happen to us. As we study God's word, our minds are renewed, and we are transformed, and we stop being cookie cutters spit out by the culture around us, and we are transformed by the word of God to be Rescue bots. No, rescue. We, we can go on rescue missions into this world and help other people be transformed by the grace of God and by the power of his word. And so I geeked out a little bit on that, but I hope you're seeing that there is so much in God's word. There is so much as we seek to engage it, as we seek to say, what does it mean? Or, what does it say? What does it mean? And then finally, how does it apply? How does that apply? What does that mean? meaning have to do with me? And this is where I want you to take it personally. (laughs) When you ask the question, how does it apply? There will be a temptation to apply what you have just read and learned to everybody else in your world. Oh, this is great. I should share this with my wife because I think she would really enjoy hearing this application of the scripture that I just studied. Or I know who needs to hear this and you're composing your text. No, I would encourage you as you do personal Bible study and you make personal application, apply it to yourself rather than applying it to somebody else. It works a lot better. It's a little bit harder. I've found that it's really, really easy to make application of Scripture to other people and a little bit harder to make application to myself. But take it personally. Remember, we're doing a personal application, a prayerful personal application of God's Word, of what we have just learned, of what we have just come to understand. Some questions you can ask as you seek to apply God's Word to your life are, is there something in here that I need to do? Is there something in here that I need to do? Is my mind actively being renewed? If I'm engaging scripture zero, one, two, three times a day, is my mind being renewed? Am I seeing the fruit of that? Or 
Is there something I could do in response to what I've read that my mind could be renewed four, five, six, seven times a week spending time in Scripture? You see, it just works so much better if we soak in it than if we just dunk into it once a week. And so that might be something. Maybe some passages of Scripture make it really clear that there's something I need to confess to somebody else. There's a sin from my past. There's an area maybe in the last week where I lost my temper or whatever the case may be for the passage that we're studying. There may be something that we need to confess. Remember, James said, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. First John says we confess to God who's faithful and just and who will forgive us. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to each other for healing. Maybe there's something I need to confess. Or maybe there's something that I need to repent of, and there's a a habit in my life that is destructive, and God's Word has just revealed that to me, and I now have the knowledge and the information and the power to change that because of my time in study. That's how the mind gets renewed. Maybe one question or a way to think of it, where does it feel like God's been reading my mail? Like, sometimes you're reading the Bible, and something just leaps off the page. This happens almost every time I read the Bible, but, but there's something that's like, how did he know? How does his word know? Well, because it's living and active. It's, it, it, it intersects our life at every point. And so there may be an area where he's been following you on social media, and he knows what you've been posting about, or he knows how you've been arguing with somebody that's never going to change their mind, and you can just, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. And that's, that's renewing our mind. I love the question in the Banding Together journal for that application portion. It asks this question. It says, what is your next step and how can you be obedient? I love that. What is your next step and how can you be obedient? Many of us probably remember or have memorized Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? Well, the interesting thing about a lamp is it doesn't illuminate five miles, It shows you the next step. God's word shows us the next step. And when we take that step, it shows us the next step. But until we take that step, it's not probably going to show us the next step after that step. And so as we study God's word and interact with God's word and it shows us the next step, then the question as we seek to apply it to our lives is, what's the next step and how can I be obedient? What's the next step and how can I be obedient? Tomorrow, what's the next step? And how can I be obedient? We take this one step at a time. And as I was reflecting on that, John 8, 31 and 32 came to mind. So I'll show you that as kind of a passage that speaks into this subject and speaks into this concept. Because John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, To the Jews who had believed him. So he's not talking to the Pharisees that were always busting his chops. He's talking to the Jews who had believed him. He said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What it does not say is when you study my word, then you will be my disciples. It doesn't say that. It says when you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciples. We're talking about disciplines for disciples. These should help us to hold to his teaching. I think studying God's word is the most powerful ingredient to holding to his teachings. You see, we cannot hold to his teachings unless we know what his teachings are. And we cannot know the truth unless we hold to his teachings. It does not say on the bracelet, what did Jesus know? It's what did Jesus do? 
What would Jesus do in this situation? And as we study God's word and our minds are renewed, we know progressively the answer to that question, and we are able to do what Jesus would do. And so that leads us all to our bottom line for this whole message and this whole idea of studying Scripture to renew our mind. Study helps us move from information to transformation. Study helps us move from information on a page to transformation in our heart. And we see that illustrated in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We see that illustrated in the process of asking the questions that study is what moves us from information, what it says, to transformation, how it applies to our lives. And as we study God's word, we may even move from misinformation to transformation. Maybe we've got a faulty worldview. Maybe we were raised with ideas that are not biblical, that don't line up with God's way of viewing the world, with Jesus' way of viewing the world. And so as we study God's word, we move from information to transformation, maybe even from misinformation to transformation. And the goal of study is always personal transformation. So we're not this guy. We're this guy. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can test and approve God's will, so that we can trust him more deeply so that we can obey him more quickly and completely, and so that we can serve him more faithfully. And I've done it again. I've gone along every single message in this series. I was telling the staff, this is going to be a short one, and they were kind of, yeah, I'll bet. So my apologies. If you didn't take the survey last week, read the survey, read the questions, take the survey. We'd love to receive this information from you. If you did take it last week, don't, don't um, take it again. Um, But I'm going to clear out here. We're going to respond in faith to God's word and to what it has revealed to us. And um, let let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You are so good. Your word is so rich. And we love you. And we love your word. And we pray, God, that you will renew our minds as we study your word. And as we seek to be transformed into your image. God, have your way in us. Help us to respond in faith now to what we have learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.